Man, so glad that you're here today, and uh, it is the hardest job in the world, is it not? I know all the moms here would agree. Uh, I know I've seen Robin's job, and I don't want it. It's, uh, it's really tough. But uh, thank you so much for being here today to celebrate uh, the risen Savior, but also to give our moms a pat on the back and to recognize all the hard work that they have done and will continue to do in our lives, uh, encouraging us uh, just as God Almighty does in our life, uh, but putting those people in our life to help mold us and shape us and make us the very people he's called us uh, to be. But a real joy to have you here with us this morning. I hope you've got your Bibles. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 1 this morning. Uh, the text will be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. Uh, we're going to have an exciting time talking about Hannah, as uh, Kevin alluded to in his communion talk. Uh, we'll dig into that and hopefully peel back some layers, some things maybe you haven't seen uh, before. But if you're a guest with us today, surely thank you for being with us today, for being a part of our, our service together. We hope you've seen Christ in our midst. And of course, our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to be a part of our Cross Point family, to dig into telling the story of Jesus Christ like we've made a decision to do, to say, uh, God is enough, Jesus Christ has done enough, and I want to share that with the world, to use your gift sets to say, God, I surrender to you, and I want to be everything you've called me to be. Uh, thanks for buying me back with your son, uh, for being uh, the God that you've uh, been, been created to be to, in my life as a father figure, as a molder, as a, as a person who moves and shapes me as I move forward in my life. It's great to have you here uh, this morning. I want to remind you, too, that next week uh, we begin a brand new series out of 1 John. And it's going to be a great uh, few weeks that we're going to be together. We'll take a look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John together as a group uh, and talk about what the Apostle John is really calling us to in that series. Uh, because it really... Uh, moves us to think about how we interact with one another and how we interact with God. What are we called to live like? What's the discipleship uh, syndrome and how should we look in the world that we live in? How do we interact with one another? How do we treat one another? It'll be a great series to be together that begins next Sunday, so don't miss it. Be here and be a part of that study as we dig in. Well, and Cale mentioned too, our point men group uh, started that fence out there. It looks great. Uh, they've done a terrific job uh, with that, and they'll continue uh, until that whole thing is uh, brought to conclusion, and it'll be a good time to have our kids out there and know that they are, are safe. Well, my guess is in your life, you probably had to give something up. Am I right? Raise your hand if you've ever had to give something up, whether you voluntarily wanted to do that or not. Yep, all of our hands kind of have gone up in here. Maybe for you it was soda. It could have been uh, a Coke or, or Dr. Pepper, heaven forbid, that we give up some uh, caffeinated moment like that. We probably need that to move through the day. Maybe for you it was chocolate and you thought, oh, I really need to let that go. Uh, and then maybe you've got some in your room in the nightstand. You kind of sneak it at times. That's okay. I won't tell anybody. Uh, but there are moments where you've had to give something up along the way. And maybe it really hurt you in the moment. If that, that special TV show. Or maybe, maybe you moved to a different town where it wasn't as easy for you to get to your family and go see them as often as you wanted to. You had to give up that relationship time uh, that you used to build with them. Uh, you feel that emotion. You know what that felt like in the moment. And as we take a, a look at our story today, as we dig in to our story, we're going to see uh, a, a mom who had to give up her son because of a promise that she made. She willingly did that, uh, but she, uh, it was a struggle. She had to fight through some of the emotional ties that went along with that uh, piece of her motherhood, giving up 
the one treasure that she had in her life. And as we take a look uh, at the story this morning, you're going to feel those heartstrings tug. You're going to see uh, how a mom really comes alongside God in his story to do what's best for God's story, even though it may not have been everything that she wanted to do. Uh, we see that she holds firm to her word. Hannah had to give up Samuel, her only son, uh, early in his life. And uh, you and I think about that and the reality of giving up maybe a six or seven-year-old child uh, to go be with someone else, even if it is a godly moment, even if it's something for God's service. Uh, you think about giving up your own six, seven-year-old child. That would be a difficult thing to do. She cried a lot, as you and I would do as well. There were many moments where she just didn't eat, wasn't hungry, because she couldn't have children initially. Uh, that was her prayer, that God would give her a child. Uh, and so we're going to work through this story, beginning in verse 5 of Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want to set it up because Elkanah is her husband, uh, and Elkanah also had another wife. Kevin alluded to this in his talk. Uh, her name was Penina, and Penina had a lot of kids. Uh, and they would go to worship at the tabernacle. They would leave their hometown and travel to the tabernacle yearly to worship God there, to offer a sacrifice. And part of that uh, moment of worship, part of that sacrificial moment of worship was uh, the sacrifice that they brought, the animal, would actually be divvied up and uh, Elkanah would give Hannah one piece of that meat and then Panina would get a piece, but also all the, uh, the meat that would feed her kids, their kids as well. Uh, and so Panina was kind of ornery in the process. She had kids, Hannah did not, and uh, she is the one that's kind of taunting Hannah all through this process. Can you imagine living in the same house with someone who is just at you all the time because you don't have something that I've got? And something as deep and heart-wrenching as being childless, uh, it's, a, it's a rough thing to consider. But let's take a look here beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1. It said, and though Elkanah loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion of the sacrifice because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be so downhearted just because you have no children? I mean, you have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Okay, guys, let me tell you something. <laughs> no matter how awesome you are, <laughs> don't ever say something like that to your wife. You need to let her lean into you, have a shoulder to cry on, be compassionate in the moment, whatever that is. I know sometimes uh, our wives come home from work and they've had a demoralizing day. They've had a tough time with coworkers, and you try to help them, as I do, figure it out. Here's the formula to fix it, right? Sometimes they just need you to listen. Sometimes they just need you to be present in the moment and let them vent and talk, not necessarily fix anything. Elk and I was a typical guy. Hey, you got me. Shouldn't that be enough? I mean, that's just not the way to go when you're interacting in a tough moment like Hannah is having right here. There is a 
a situation with barrenness and the Jewish culture that I want to make you aware of. It was, it was a deep-seated emotional moment if a woman could not have children. Several things come into play. One is the Hebrew word for barren is likened to the Hebrew word for uprooted. It's, it's in the same category. And it just really means the idea of being uprooted, that you're left to wither, that there's no one left to tell your story, that this is the end for you. There are no children to pass on what you have learned, the story that has been part of your life. And so that idea of being barren and uprooted, one and the same in the Hebrew language. But equally, you know, this is an oral culture. They tell stories all the time around the campfire, tell stories around the dinner table of what God has done for them in their life. You know, God told Abraham a commandment. You're going to have many kids. You're going to bless the earth with your children. He tells Adam and Eve, multiply and create more people, create kids. And so Hannah is realizing in her culture she cannot obey one of God's commandments. She cannot fulfill what he's called her to do as a woman of God. And it hurts her deeply. It was also the idea with Abraham, too, that it was a blessing from God to have children, that you have been blessed in so many different ways when you have offspring. And so for the Jewish culture, if you didn't have kids, then God must not be blessing you. You must have done something wrong to displease God. After all, you would have had children if that weren't the case. It was a a status symbol, if you will. It was a, a sense of worth in the community that you were adding to the population of God's people, that you were creating moments to pass on the story of God to your own kids, and they would pass it to their kids, and so forth. But God doesn't seem to acknowledge Hannah in her story. Neither God nor her husband could remedy, could give her a child. And so Hannah begins to bargain with God. She wants a child desperately. In this time of Hannah's life, we're going to go through three different time periods in this one chapter. But in this particular moment, Hannah, her life is empty. She really doesn't have anything going on. She's being made fun of by the other wife. Elkanah just doesn't seem to get it as the husband. She has no children that would bring her glory as well. Let's continue reading in verse 10. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And as she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. That's an allusion to the Nazarite vow, the idea that total dedication to the Lord, 100%. God, he's going to be your man. I'm I'm not going to take him away from that. I will fulfill that promise in my own life. So she gets to the temple with her family, and she goes into the courtyard to pray. Now, Eli is the current high priest, and he is in the temple area or the, the tabernacle area, and he sees Hannah praying. 
Now look what happens in verse 12 of our story. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, and seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. She's been praying to God. She wants God to fulfill her desire. And what's just happened is the priest of God, the high priest of all of Israel, has said, may God grant your prayer. It's almost a sure thing now. Not only have I presented myself before the Lord in his holy place, the tabernacle, but God's own man has asked God to make my prayer come to fruition. At this stage, she is childless, but now Hannah has hope. She realizes she's leaning into the story of God. She realizes that other people are seeing that part of her story and wishing well for her, leaning into her as well, blessing her as she moves along in her journey. Now, I know that today is a tough day for some of you because it's Mother's Day. And some of you maybe have lost your mother years ago, maybe recently. You can't reach out to her today on this special day. It's, it's a tough moment in time for you. Maybe there are some here in our audience this morning that you can't seem to find the right guy. And so for that reason, you too don't have a marriage and you don't have kids. They're somewhere in the future. And you're wondering, is that ever going to be? Maybe you, in your own life, you're just not able right now to have children. And that's tough. Maybe somewhere earlier in your life, you felt like you made a mistake. And so maybe you had an abortion. And you grieve the day that you made that decision. Maybe early in in your own life you had a child but felt like you couldn't truly take care of that child and put it up for adoption for another family to take care of. And in this moment, this day, sometimes it is kind of grief-stricken because there are all kinds of scenarios that come into play on Mother's Day. Maybe you have guilt in some of the decisions that you've made, but I do know this when you look at our story and other stories, that God can heal. God can take that burden from you. He can journey with you and walk with you. If you simply say, you're my Lord, you're my God, and I'm going to give this to you because I cannot carry it on my own. But you read the story of Hannah and you can relate to her sorrow. You can relate to the fact that she feels not part of the community. But Hannah begged and pleaded for a child, and in this case, God says yes. What I want us to understand, not only as moms here this morning, but as parents, maybe you're even a mentor of someone younger than you, that really it's a partnership with God that you and I are involved in as parents. And today we're highlighting moms. Motherhood is a partnership with God, just as we look at Hannah's story and realize that she too was in partnership with God. It represents the idea that you've come alongside God in his story saying, I want to partner with you so that I can mold that creation, that 
that child that you've given me into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And Hannah dedicates her son to God, and Samuel becomes one of Israel's greatest prophets in all of its history. Samuel becomes that man who anoints Saul but later confronts him because he's not doing what God's called him to do. He's the same young man, Samuel, that anoints King David as the greatest king that Israel will ever know. His mom had partnered with God, and that created within him the desire to become all things that God wanted him to be. Now, in your life, maybe you you don't feel like you had a really tight partnership with your mom. And maybe now in your adulthood, you feel some emptiness. You feel a disconnect from your mom. You don't feel like you're on the same page. Barbara Streisand had a difficult time with her mom while she was living. It was very public. They butted heads quite a bit. And I remember she had a a comeback concert in the 90s. And during that first concert that she had, her mom was present in the second row. And she walked off stage down to the second row. And she asked her, are you proud of me now? Even in the moments where you bump heads, we truly want our parents' approval. We want to know that we are loved and affirmed, and maybe you feel that's kind of how your life was with your mom. We are aching for that that affirmation that maybe we should have, could have received along the way, but you and I can make a choice today to say the cycle ends with me. I'm going to be the person that God's called me to be in my motherhood and my fatherhood. I'm going to be the parent that God's created me to be so that I can pour into the child that God has blessed me with. And in this next section of our story, we realize that it's the season for Hannah where she was filled. Take a look at verse 19. The entire family then got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, for she said, I ask the Lord for him. Samuel means, I ask the Lord. And so she names her son the reaction to her prayer. It's very sweet. It's a very precious moment where she realizes that God is so involved in her storyline, in her plan. She gets so excited. And we get caught up in the idea of our kids, don't we? We sure do. I know that we do. We drove Friday up to Manhattan, Kansas, north central Kansas. Eight hours, straight shot, not a whole lot to look at. Well, there is God's nature, I understand. But our oldest son walked across stage. He, he got at least the thing his diploma goes in. They said, you know, you can't get the actual diploma until you pay all your fines and your library fees, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but that's an exciting moment to know that you've poured into your child and you see them in a milestone in their life and they're, they're moving forward in that moment. And we can get wrapped up. We can feel fulfilled in our kids. There is both blessing and challenges with kids, aren't there? There was a moment when this young family had this child. It'll be on the screen here in just a moment. There they are. Yeah, does that look familiar? (sighs) That's a little skip a beat moment to actually put that out in public, but anyway. (laughs) 
Yeah, Tanner comes home, and just like that, you turn around, he's walking across stage at a college with his diploma. There are moments where the kids come home, and you can become so wrapped up in that moment that you forget about God's part of that story. I remember the first two years of our marriage, you know, it was just me and Robin, and I enjoyed all of that. At a drop of a hat on a weekend, we'd travel, we'd jump in the car, we'd go do something. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then this guy comes home, and that all stopped. I got a little selfish, you know, initially, because now I was vying for Robin's attention. And if we're not careful, we get caught up in our human relationships. We try to make someone else fill the void the gap that only God can fill in our life. We've got to lean into what God's called us to and realize he is at the forefront of our life, that we've got to be a part of the storyline that he is shaping. You see, moms and dads both, we, we set the tone for the home, do we not? We, we create the moments within our own home to reinforce God's lessons. Home is a training ground, if you will. We get to to create an atmosphere of acceptance, a place of peace, of safety, if you will. It's a place where you can mess up as a child, and it should be okay to mess up. We've got lots of mentors in our own life who've told us along the way and continue to tell us. One of the the great uh, moments we had was uh, with one particular person. We're trying to get our kids living right, doing right, making great decisions, and for the most part, they did. But this one particular mentor reminded us that home is the place where your kids should be able to mess up. If they're perfect at home, they are going to mess up at some point, and when they leave home, they have nowhere else to fall. When they're home, that should be the place of peace and learning and the place where it's okay to mess up. Now in our story, all this happens in chapter 1. Hannah, now with Samuel, maybe six or seven years old, gets to see him once a year, once she gives him to Eli, once she places him in the tabernacle, the place where the Lord lives. She turns him over to Eli for instruction to become God's man. Now, by all accounts in our story and beyond, Eli is this crusty old man who uh, seems a bit cantankerous. He seems a bit uh, self-indulgent. His own kids have not turned out well. As a parent, I mean, you're thinking, this is what I'm going to give my kid to. I'm not sure. I think maybe I could do a better job. Have I ever been there before when you've kind of let someone else into your life and you think, eh, I'm going to pull that back a little bit. I think I might could do a better job uh, with that. But she made a promise to God and she followed through on the integrity of her own life and her story with God. We've always wanted to be a part of God's story and to do what he's called us to do. It's not easy as a parent letting go. I've seen this over and over, especially in my youth ministry years, of parents who almost refuse to let their kids grow up. And we, in, in our storyline with our two boys, it was interesting. Robin started a preschool at the first church I worked at in Ponca City, Oklahoma. She actually taught preschool with Tanner in a backpack on her back. That was a, a beautiful moment to see. But then also letting them get on the school bus to go to school at the end of our driveway. That's a letting go moment, realizing every little piece that you have them is a moment for you to pour into them, to tell them how important they are to God 
and how they're part of God's story. I remember the first time that Tanner, our oldest, was able to drive and he went and got in the truck. Garrett went and got in the other side. We waved from the porch. They were driving away and as soon as they were out of eyesight, I jumped in my car and followed them. Because <laughs> I thought, oh boy, this is crazy. But you got to let them go. And they did great. They never knew I was there. It was awesome. There are moments too in high school where we discovered uh, through social media plans that they had and they were going to mess up big time and to let them mess up so that we can have a teaching moment with them. That's difficult. And then, of course, off to college and this weekend we got to experience our oldest son graduating. Now it's, when are you going to start making money? That's the next question. And if you've got more than one child, it gets easier as you go. Still the same emotional uh, tag moments, but it gets a little easier as you go. Hannah knew that she needed to release Samuel sooner, maybe, than most boys who were Jews at that time. We all go through that. If we don't let go of our kids, though, into God's story, it will erode your marriage, and it will make an awkward relationship between your child and yourself unhealthy. You see, you and I have to remember in God's story, like Hannah, that we are raising our kids to release them. We want them to be productive members of society, but also to be God's representative in society. And so you figure out along the way how that's going to look, what that will look like, how that will shake out. And you have the opportunity within your own house to make sure, am I going to be a thermometer or am I going to be a thermostat? Which one am I going to be in my home? Because one adjusts to the current temperature. The other one makes the temperature what you want it to be. You model who God's called you to be. In this last part, Hannah's life is now poured out because she has to follow through with her promise to God. The very next year after Samuel is born, Elkanah and the whole family are going back to the tabernacle to offer their sacrifices and to worship God together as a family. And Hannah says, I'm not going to go this year. I'm going to stay at home because I know the time is coming very soon when I'm going to have to let my son go. And I want to take all the opportunity that I have to pour into him to shape him, to mold him. We see that in verse 23 of our text. The husband, Elkanah, says, Whatever you think best, stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. Now, weaned, as we know, is, is much more than than moving off the bottle, so to speak. It is actually training the young one to understand how to live life with those that you live life with. He would not have been a very good asset for Eli at a super young age. Even if he went when he was six or seven years old, she was going to have to be intentional with the time that she had with her son at home. She was going to have to pour into him who he is in the story of God Almighty, how he is an answer to prayer and what he can be for God in the story that is beginning to unfold for him. She knew she was going to have to be intentional, and that is a great word for you and I as parents and mentors of those younger than us to remember 
that one idea that you and I are called to be intentional in the lives of those that we get to touch, that we get to mold. And that window of time for our kids is so small. It truly is. That last picture you saw up there with me and Robin and, and then yesterday's event. Wow. It happens so quick. Hannah knew that her child was a gift from God. How do you, you view those in your life that you get to mentor, that you get to parent? Are they an interruption to your schedule or are they a treasure that God has given you that you want to take time with? Hannah knew also that her time was limited as she poured into this gift from God. She finally gets to the point where he's old enough to take to the tabernacle. It's time for me to follow through with the promise I've made to God. And so look in verse 25. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there as a family. Wow. The integrity and beauty of Hannah knowing her place. It's a formal celebration, a dedication, if you will, of her son to the work of the Lord. I mean, you're asking this morning maybe, well, how do I give my son to God? What is it that I need to do for my little girl to give her to God? And it's an encouragement this morning for us to think about and realize that our job is really 24-7. You've got to be intentional and figure out ways that you can get your child plugged into the story of God. Some of those ways are simple things like the baby blessing that we do once or twice a year here at Cross Point. To let your child come into that story officially. Maybe to fully get vested in our kids' ministry and say, every time that there's a class, every time there's a moment for our child to understand who Jesus Christ is, I'm going to be here and be present for that. I'm going to be part of that. Or maybe to release them a little bit more, to be a part of our uh, youth ministry, to go on some of those trips, to be formed into the person that God's called them to be. And we as parents and mentors, we get to pour into them alongside God and help create the person that God has for his story. John says in 3 John chapter 4 that there's no greater joy to know that my, other than to know that my children are following the Lord. This morning, we celebrate our moms. But we realize in our story that it's so much more than that. It's a a partnership with God. You and I have been blessed to have been bought back with the blood of Jesus Christ. You and I are adopted members of God's family. And because of that, we get to also train and speak the word, speak the story into those kids that are coming up behind us to remind them of how much they are loved by God and how much they are part of the story of God. The idea in their own life that, yes, God is enough that Jesus Christ has done enough for me, and I want to share that story of hope to all those around me. I'm going to invite Steve and the praise team back to the stage at this time. And uh, My hope is this morning, as we sing together, that you will consider and think about how God is using you in the lives of those that you mentor, whether they're your own kids or somebody else's kids. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe at the workplace as you interact 
with uh, other people's kids around you. Maybe here at Crosspoint, in the church environment, as you get involved maybe in our kids' ministry or our youth ministry, you can figure out ways to let God use you in that story of developing, to say, God, I want to be a part of your story, and I want to help other people see, too, how they can be part of that story as well. Let's stand and sing together.